Welcome to episode 461 with my guest, Elisa Kennedy-Jones. Today's episode is sponsored by Squarespace. Turn your great idea into a reality with Squarespace. Squarespace makes it easier than ever to launch your passion project, whether you're showcasing your work or selling products of any kind. With beautiful templates and the ability to customize just about anything, you can easily make a beautiful website yourself. And if you do get stuck, Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support is there to help. So head to squarespace.com slash mental for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MENTAL to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. My name is Paul Gilmartin, and this is the Mental Illness Happy Hour, a place for honesty about all the battles in our heads, from medically diagnosed conditions, past traumas, and sexual dysfunction to everyday compulsive negative thinking. This show's not meant to be a substitute for professional... Professional? <laughs> Listen, I don't have time to pr- pronounce my R's. We got got to get to the interview. The show is not meant to be a substitute for professional mental counseling. I am not a therapist. It's not a doctor's office. It's more like a waiting room that doesn't suck. Uh, the social media handles you can follow the show at, uh, at MentalPod and MentalPod.com, also the website for this show. Feeling better than I did last week. Um, those of you that listened to last week's episode, uh, it was pretty short. I was pretty depressed. I think the fall depression kind of uh, hit me full force, and it just doing the podcast felt like lifting 500 pounds, and so I thought I'd practice what I preach, and uh, was nice to myself, and just read two surveys, kept it short and sweet, and went back to bed. But I'm feeling a lot better this week. Um, I want to read something from the love survey. This was filled out by Lucy and she writes, I love the way my dog stretches when he wakes with his legs out straight and then relaxes. He might also be saluting Hitler. Can't rule that out. I love the way he sneezes to get my attention, especially to get treats and keep sneezing all the way to the kitchen. It even makes me smile when he gets up in the middle of the night under the guise of surely if he is this insistent, he must need to go outside and use the bathroom. No, he just wants a treat in the middle of the night. And I love how his feet smell like hay when he's snuggled up close to me. I always thought that they smell more like Fritos, but I do like, I like just about every smell that has to do with my dogs, not other dogs, except Gracie's gas is, is there's nothing lovable about that, but. I even love the smell of her bad breath. Love the smell of her feet. This is a same survey filled out by a non-binary person who calls themselves, uh, my gender is T-Rex. And they write, I love when I'm watching a movie and I think I already know the plot because I've seen the trailer and then something happens 30 minutes in that I genuinely did not see coming. I love when I'm really struggling with my mental health, but I follow my safety plan anyways, taking it on pure faith that this won't last forever. And later, I'm able to look back and see that I was right and feel so, so proud of myself for trusting even when I didn't believe. I love when I set a boundary with someone I want to like me, so I'm sure I'm going to lose them as a friend. And they react to my share like, oh, of course, like they're genuinely glad to help me feel safe, comfortable, and okay. And I love when I believe them. I love my toes. 
I just think my toes have a better, prettier, rounder shape than most people's toes. It's not even a sexual thing. Well, too late. Nine people are already masturbating to the picture of your toes. Just a little piece of vanity that I allow myself to enjoy. Those are awesome. Thank you for that. Any comments to make the podcast better? I just want you to know that when you repeat yourself, even if it's something you've said and I've heard a thousand times, they are almost always things I still need to hear. Things like, it wasn't your fault. They were the parent in the situation. It's normal and okay to have sexual fantasies that relate to your trauma. It doesn't make you a bad feminist. In the parentheses, that one especially. Also, I love all your terrible jokes. The worse, the better. So keep letting you love you. Thank you so much for that. This is from a guy who calls himself that one guy and his love, my unnecessary and ridiculous car projects. I love that. I love that. I am so impatient sometimes when I'm woodworking that I will fuck up and ruin pieces of wood uh, like yesterday. And uh, I'm just like, well, now I got more firewood. If I had a woodworking show, that's what it would be called. It would be called firewood. But it's um, it's one of those things that I, I have had to really work on to not be too hard on myself and just go, you know what, I make mistakes. The way I would work is, yeah, I don't sketch things out. I don't plan as much as other people. Um, but it's the way I like to work. And so sometimes... Um, I contribute to destroying the earth and uh, making Venice flood. Any comments to make the podcast better? I listened to your most recent interview about narcissists and would love to hear from someone on the other side of the spectrum, the, quote, abuser who has or is making changes to be a better person and heal the darker parts of their self. I'm sure we have touched on that in um, different episodes. I don't know if we've ever done an episode directly related to that, but I've shared uh, moments from my life and uh, struggles uh, and shortcomings that I've worked on. And if you're a regular listener to the show, I'm sure you probably um, heard me share about that. And I mean, if you're looking to hear from somebody who has narcissistic personality disorder, I don't think you're ever going to have a guest on the podcast because any true narcissist would not say that they're a narcissist. I think people who have narcissistic qualities might do that. And I, and I would say that I might be one of those people. I just wanted to talk about myself. Uh, this is a love from Laura. She writes, I love moments far too rare when I feel comfortable in my own skin. No struggle, shame, or stigma. No explanations necessary. For a while, everything's good. Love it. Today's episode is sponsored by, drumroll, Roman. A lot of people are uncomfortable talking about erectile dysfunction. I love it. I will talk about it in a crowded elevator. I will talk about it. Uh, but seriously, with Roman, you can get a free online evaluation. Actually, I'm not ashamed to talk about it. It's, it would be like being ashamed that you have you know, diabetes or... Uh, I don't know. You fill in, fill in the medical struggle. With a Roman, you can get a free online evaluation and ongoing care for ED, all from the comfort and privacy of your home. Uh, I use Roman. 
It is way cheaper than my insurance. Uh, it's simple to use. They ship it to you with free two-day shipping. It's simple, straightforward. Just go to roman.com slash metal and complete an online visit. Uh, it's, it's really, and it, and it's nice having those around. If, you know, I'm in a period of my life where I'm, uh, I'm struggling with that. It helps me relax. And that's, uh, that's enough for me, <laughs> my personal, my personal stuff. So, uh, go to getroman.com slash metal to get a free online visit and free two day shipping. That's getroman.com slash metal for a free visit to get started. Getroman.com slash metal. And as always, I'll put the links to this stuff under the show notes for the episode. Uh, we are also sponsored by betterhelp.com. I've, uh, I talk every week about how much I love doing online counseling, and I love my counselor, Donna. And we have worked through so many issues over the last couple of years that uh, that I've been seeing her. And so if you're interested in trying online therapy from the comfort of your home, go to betterhelp.com slash mental. Make sure you include the slash mental part so they know you come from this podcast. And then fill out a questionnaire. They will match you with a BetterHelp.com counselor, and you can experience a free week of counseling to see if it uh, is right for you and you need to be over 18. You can also correspond with your counselor through email, live text, uh, chat, phone, smoke signal, Morse code, Pony Express, Greek messenger, Although he's always out of breath, and it's sometimes hard for them to really convey what you're... (laughs) But it is cool seeing a human being with winged feet. Uh, And then finally, before we get to the interview, these are some loves from a woman who calls herself Meditating Kitty. And she writes, I love it when I share something that has caused me pain and hurt with someone, and they say, I'm so sorry that you had to go through that. That must have really hurt. I see you, and I will hold you safe. I love when a perfectly sad, haunting, and longing song comes on and I turn up the sound and I can feel the beauty and intensity pulling at my heart. I love it when my husband looks in the full-length mirror and watches himself do silly dances. He is so proud of himself. These are so good. I love when my husband comes up to me in the kitchen and we start dancing to the music in our heads. My husband has no sense of rhythm, so we can't dance to actual music. Uh, I love... When I can hear rain pounding on the roof and I am reminded of a time when I lived in a village in Africa and the rain would pound so hard on the iron sheets that were the roof that we laughed and had to yell to be heard. Nobody's Nobody's cool cool and everyone's scared scared. and And we're we're just just all all in in this together. (laughs) There was no joy. Overeating. Apathy doesn't leave any marks. Numbing out. Physically. I wish that I was a girl. Panic attacks were so violent. Rudderless. They were mistaken for seizures. Shot coke in my neck. The TV was talking to me. Romantically, I am becoming the woman that I feared. He said, there's going to be a saga of hunger strike. Nothing's real. And I'm going to die. Sometimes I just go, hey, I can't deal. Just beyond broken. I went out. You have to, like, fantasize about the person I'm with. I'm gonna stop it. Fucking someone else. It's okay to be different. That I don't want to die is a miracle. To be weird. I'm so happy to be here. I'm gonna help you one day. People are gonna love you for that. It takes a lot of work 
to heal. It's hard being a weird kid. Sometimes you don't realize how fucked up something was until you feel the opposite of it. You will just never see what you're not looking for. I didn't know how to break up with him, so I just transferred schools. (laughs) (laughs) I'm here with Elisa Kennedy-Jones. Am I pronouncing it correctly? Yes, you are. (laughs) Uh, She is an author, a contributor to NPR, and a medical oddity. Her book is called Gotham <laughs> Gotham Girl Interrupted. And you developed epilepsy at 40 years old. Yeah. Uh, and your book is about your your struggles with that. But it's a humorous kind of... Uh, take. Yeah, a humorous take. And uh, you don't withhold any details, no matter how embarrassing. No, no. I mean, it's full of... Uh, all kinds of feminine grotesque moments that yeah i think anyone could relate to um at at this point i really was writing it for um an audience of people dealing with any kind of chronic condition be it epilepsy or anxiety uh depression Lyme's disease, um, chronic fatigue. There are a lot of us out there who are dealing with repeat kinds of conditions and states of being. And I needed to find some funny uh, as I was coming to grips with what I was dealing with, which was intense. Uh, you were raised in Northern California by some, some hippie parents, right? <laughs> That's how you I put it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, they would be like, we weren't, hip- we weren't oh. hippies. We, we were perfectly f- 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 lovely. And, uh, we, yeah, um, uh, they, I, I guess they could be considered the original hipster types. Um, they were very into the back to the land kind of thing. And they were nursing a lot of, you know, prairie home companions or uh, Little House on the Prairie, I would say, uh, fantasies about subsistence and getting away from it all and whatnot. And um, yeah, that had some repercussions for uh, my years growing up in terms of touching an electric fence at the age of four and <laughs> what, 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 hold on what what how did that come about um i write about it in the book uh we were looking at land uh they were really making their break and their escape and i was just a curious goofball little kid and um you know that was pretty much my first brush with the electric which i write about and uh which i was saying hello to a horse and i had no idea um whose fence was it oh uh we were with these people i just i remember uh, we were with the realtor and she had this crazy toilet brush hair bright red and we were i we were walking and i was dawdling and Horses to me were always this kind of thing uh, that you know, they they always looked frightened. I think it's the big eye thing or confused. And I think I was just trying to comfort the horse. And yeah, I rested my little finger on the fence. I had no idea what was coming. And you remember those shoes 
back in like the late or mid to late seventies, they were Buster Earth, Browns. Earth shoes. Yeah, they're yeah. very. They were like wearing meatballs on your mm-hmm. on your feet. They were laced up. They were. I think they were Buster Browns uh-huh. or something like that. So they were really intense, and I think they saved my life actually because I flew back. Wow. <laughs> I flew. I the, the like the current flew up my arm and it was like unzipping my body from the inside out and my shoes shot off. Holy shit. So that when I did finally have my first experience with seizures, which essentially a seizure is for me it's this overabundance of electricity and uh, and atypical electricity in one's brain um when i did have the first seizure i was like i recognize that <laughs> where's the horse <laughs> where's the horse exactly and my parents of course were like what Oh my gosh! And there, it was before nine one one existed, and you would think people would be shocked and afraid, but they were they were like, "Are you all right?" And I think they were doing that parent thing that we all do when our or you know, for those of us who have kids, um, that you're like, "Are, are you? You're all right, right? Right? <laughs> you're all right." We don't have to break up our day, do we? <laughs> we have not. Yeah. And so uh, there was a bit of that, but. Um, that was pretty much my first brush with the electric, but I was a little spazzy, crazy kid. Um, but I never had any sort of kind of epileptic moments early mm. in life. It didn't happen until I was working as a film and a TV writer here in Los Angeles. What what was kind of the emotional temperature of your home life and what how did you feel in your skin and your views of yourself and the world and where you fit into it as a as a kid or adolescent any any stories that you think are kind of emblematic of uh. your in, your your inner life <laughs> all of them uh, my inner life my inner life is one of constant commentary um but uh i would say uh the kind of whirling in in the opening of my book uh i think there's a chapter called the unbearable brightness of being and it was um just that kind of whirling dervish electrical little kid who was always on the run and always had a comment and always full of sass and mm-hmm. um yeah, I think my favorite singer was Jim Croce at the time, and so I would rock out to fucking... Operator. Um, no, not Operator. <laughs> it was Bad Badly Roy Brown. Nice. It's a great song. It's a great song. I loved all of, my, all of his but songs. But it was yeah. like my... I was. I think my parents were like, what have we done? <laughs> Who is right. this person? Um, so your... Were you comfortable in your skin or was the uh, being a whirling dervish kind of a way of um, not feeling any kind of sadness or pain or disconnect? Um, no, I wasn't. I was pretty comfortable. I I think that's also what helped me later when I did come upon this unexpected kind of diagnosis after all these years of being healthy um, was that I had a kind of naivete, like a naive point of view uh, about epilepsy and about anything dealing with uh, anxiety and 
mental health and depression or any all of the things that I went I, I was like oh, wait this is something that I can't control you're telling me I should be ashamed of it like I didn't the stigma didn't even make sense to me yeah so no I was a pretty free little like spirit and I was after I think I was like I want to feel everything I want to know all the things. That's awesome. So you have always been a cur- curious person. I've been a total nerd. Yeah. <laughs> and just like, my, and yes, I've touched the fence multiple times. <laughs> that is a metaphor. For <laughs> I, I, I think being curious is one of the biggest blessings uh, you can have in life. It makes life so interesting. Well, I do think it's yeah, I I definitely would be I, I I would be lost without that kind of questioning, questioning, probing, mm-hmm. um, uh, seeking uh, portion of my personality. I think because it's just I want to know. I'm definitely a learner, and I was a hungry little girl for and and then teenager for experience, and then grown mm. woman, and then mother. Um, for those sorts of things. And I wanted, I used to tell my parents, I wanted to have the FLE, the full life experience. And boy, did I get it. <laughs> <laughs> so share, um, let's, let's fast forward then to uh, the day you had your first seizure. So yeah, the day I had my first seizure, it was, you know, just a kind of an ordinary day. Um, I had zipped out to get some coffee and I was driving back in our ridiculous car. We had bought this car. Um, it was a 1985 Mercedes station wagon. And it's not a bougie kind of station wagon. It was a Lovecraft. It ran on taco oil. And so, I mean, you always smelled like a French fry or a taco after you drove it, but it was the dog car. So we were, I, I was driving back and I, we were going to go to see Nanny McPhee uh, at the television academy. And I was in the kit for the kids. It was like an exciting thing. And it, you know, the, the red carpet, yeah, dress up and whatnot. And so I was zipping back to the house and then it was like if you can imagine having two projectors, which we we do in our heads, in our in, in our eyes, um, uh, one film going forward at a very rapid pace, and then the other projector, the film reversing and rewinding in a, at a very uh, slow pace. Wow. And that was I was behind the wheel when that happened. I was on Lincoln Boulevard here, and yeah. I was like, oh my, and I I I was like, w- what? Donnie Darko movie is this? I was just having, I was like, whoa, this is, this does not feel right. And I'm like, uh, uh, okay. And slowing down and getting to the, uh, I was like, all right, I'm going to, I can make it. I'm 10 feet from the house. I'm going to get there. And I just, and this is the part where my editor wants me to say like, you melted into the floor or something like that. But that's not how seizures work for me. We were getting ready to go out the door. We were meeting people. They were expecting us. And that that was a real blessing uh, in a way because suddenly it wasn't the me melt. It was I wasn't melting into the floor. It was like the world tilted. And I don't know if you know, like the original, it was these 
it's like a black curtain kind of coming down, but in small, thin sort of strips and sheets. It's almost mm-hmm. like that scene in Macbeth from the 1970s, I think, where he gets his head, just, he's, he's been, his head has been chopped off. And you see at, it from his point of view. Yes. Yeah. And it, so it was like the world just tilted and then went to black. And then it was the most beautiful thing that I have I think experienced uh, in a way, and I don't mean to. I mean epilepsy is a, it's a really debilitating, tough thing, complicated thing for for sixty five million people, and that's what people don't realize. There are sixty five million people out there with epilepsy globally, or in the United States globally. Or? Yeah, and wow. uh, probably that number is a little low because there are so many people in developing nations who. Uh, you know, people who cannot access the kinds of anti-convulsant drugs and different types of treatments and surgeries that are going to be helpful to their right. conditions, or they're ostracized in ways because yeah. there's a lot of stigma and mythology mm-hmm. built up around this condition. But for me, I just did a face plant in the kitchen uh, before Nanny McPhee, and I woke up, I mean, for it was, I mean, uh, obviously a really scary thing for my youngest daughter who was there. But, um, you know, I woke up to the sense of, of, okay, there are people around me. There's a, there's a vague sense of navy blue authority in the middle distance. And, you know, they're asking you questions that are... What's your name? Who's the president? Who's the president? At that point, it wasn't so terrible. But now they always have the same, like, they say, Elisa, Elisa. And then they're, who's the president? And I'm like, no. (laughs) But at that point in time, I had no knowledge that anything had even happened. And I woke up... You. I think being in a kind of comatose or post-ictal state, you can hear people. They're like down the hallway. Mm. They sound, they feel like they're down the hallway. But I woke up to my girlfriend, Jacqueline, and she's got this velvety, velvety, fabulous voice. And she's a costume designer here, and and she's just this incredible person. She never freaks out about anything. She's like, darling. And I'm in the CAT scan, I think, at this yeah. point, or I'm in something. I can't really see, but I see the outline of her. And she's like, darling, you've had a seizure. I was like, what's a seizure? What's that? I just, I really had no, the word wasn't even in my vocabulary at this point. I'd been going to yoga and drinking wheatgrass juice and eating clean and doing all the things that you're supposed to do. And my brain had other plans, Mm. very different plans. So So describe what was beautiful about it. So what was beautiful about it? um, It was like being trapped in a Van Gogh painting. And I remember I have a vague memory of trying to tell uh, my daughter that, having a lightning storm in my head. So it was the most incredible fireworks that I've ever seen. It was ecstatic. There was no pain. Um, I think a lot of people, when you're watching someone have a seizure, uh, there are over 40 different types of seizures. So you might see 
an absent seizure where it's very still, where it's very contained. You may see a seizure. The kinds of seizures that I have are the kinds that you see in the media commonly. They're convulsant. They're on the ground. They're very frightening. They're very traumatic for the people around me. And so it's been helpful to, I've had to really try to learn how to manage their mental health and help them manage um, and say, you know what, this is, this is just what happens. This is, this is just my, the way that I'm wired, but I have to tell you, I'm not in pain. What the pain that happens is actually afterwards and waking up and you're dealing, you might be dealing with an injury. You might be dealing as I was dealing with like cognitive delays and speech delays and executive function delay uh, issues. I couldn't sequence things after I woke up from my first for, for seizure how long? for about three to four weeks. Wow. And my words were off. So we would have all these ridiculous moments where, well, I would go to say, I would try to say the word garage and the word yard, garbage, garage would finally come. Or I would try to find a word to give an instruction, like, you know, to one of the kids to say, just put the gla- put your glass in the, just make sure you put your glass in the in the in the thing that we put the dishes in, <laughs> and and they're like, you mean the sink? And I'm like, that's not a word. Really? <laughs> and they're like, Mom, I assure you, sink is a word. I'm like. Phew. And I'm gonna I'm gonna check you on that. But um, yeah, there were um, expressive issues and word retrieval. All of those things were happening, and I was like, "What the hell am I gonna do?" I and words had, are my living. Yeah, and you had been diagnosed at that point. <laughs> no, I hadn't, because the diagnosis comes after. The diagnosis comes later. You may get sent to the ER with a seizure or with an, you know, some sort of issue, neurological event like this, but you may not be diagnosed for several months. And for me, I was really shocked by, I was very thrown by this. It was very surprising. I mean, I looked like a prize fighter. I had black eyes. I'd cut my lip and I had just, I was like, I needed to, and this is ter- uh, no pun intended, needed to get my brain around what had happened before I went down this path of like, okay. Because to me, a seizure signaled something very wrong, very mm-hmm. bad. It was either something very mundane or very bad. So I should correct mm-hmm. myself there. Either I didn't have enough water and I was doing too much yoga or right. whatever, or I had a brain tumor or something really frightening. There, there right. was something amiss. And I just, I couldn't, I couldn't quite go there in that time where I, my words were off and things were still amiss. And so I didn't. I, denial was my first strategy. When, when, you're, when you went out and the people around you witnessed you convulsing, that that didn't kind of uh there were no adults in the room oh there weren't oh i'm a single mother or i was a, i am oh, yeah okay. I, at that point i was very much a single mother on the west coast okay and uh no no there was only uh a child trying to figure out what to do and how to 
and who'd never seen her mother in this kind of position ever before. And so the trauma for her, the fallout for her was very um, significant, I think. Okay. Uh, And I apologized uh, to uh, Elisa when she came in the door because I hadn't gotten, I thought I had received a copy of uh, your book. And a lot of times before a guest comes, I will spot read, get a sense of the book because I cannot keep up with No, your uh, reading list is insane. It's insane. And and I don't want to get burned out doing this job, but enough about me. If to the person listening, um, I just want to let you know that I haven't read her book. So in the beginning, <laughs> I was like, yeah, she wrote this funny book about this and that. So, so it, it does get funny, guys. guys yeah. <laughs> it does. But initially, it was not funny. Initially, it was, oh, no. Oh, this is terrible. And, mm. of course, all I wanted was Ina Garten and to, like, roll up in. And I had to – what I noticed as I was trying to come out of that first seizure – was the more I did with my hands, the more my words came back, and the more mm-hmm. and the more that my sequencing uh, abilities of like putting things in order because I couldn't put my clothes on right. Really? I noticed that I was just a bit off, mm-hmm. and they were like, "You need to follow up with a neurologist." And I'm like, "Yes, I'm going to follow up with a neurologist." And really, truly, I needed to follow up with not a neurologist necessarily, but well, a neurologist and an epileptologist, and that's the one thing. Like a neurologist. That neurologists can specialize in so many different yeah. types of things, whether it's MS or Parkinson's or Alzheimer's. Um, there are so many. Uh, if you have any idea or inkling that you're going down a path of epilepsy, it really makes sense to get with someone who specializes in that. Um, and I didn't know any of that at all because, again, I was like, what's a seizure? Um, so yeah. So give us some moments from your, uh, ups and downs with, with this. Well, the biggest, I mean, uh, some wonderful things have been, uh, the community of people who have stepped up for me in uh, this kind of years. Cause there was a time when I started having seizures where, You know, there were adults in the room and they were there to catch me. And there were people who were looking out for me in ways that I, uh, I, I, I couldn't look out for myself, especially Mm. if I was on the ground. Um, but there was a stretch. I mean, I think a really hard moment in time was the actual diagnosis day because I had put it off, but I knew things weren't right. I knew I, in my head, I just, I, it was more than low potassium. (laughs) Yes. It was more than low potassium, Nora. Oh, um, yeah, it wasn't that I'm not the, I am the overly tall girl who probably would faint in a certain point in time, but she's um, referencing Nora McInerney from our our, uh, recent episode. Yeah. Yeah. But I was concussed and (laughs) like Nora and, um, but the, The day of, I really just didn't, I couldn't imagine that given my, my, the way that we were living our lives and the kind of, you know, I I had embraced a kind of healthy lifestyle. I wasn't ready for the kind of callous diagnosis that I got, 
which, you know, I was with the guy in the little room having the EEG with my head wrapped up like Madeline Kahn and Young Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. I had just this an, a crazy hair and mummy style bandage. I looked like a giant fucking tampon um, in that moment. But I was like, we have to take pictures. And so I was, you know, with the, with the technician. I was like, can you just snap one? Because my kids are totally going to laugh at this. And I was not, I was trying to be as upbeat as possible. And I wasn't at all prepared for the kind of diagnosis of the guy coming in and him having five minutes, the neurologist, and saying, you know, and saying, does anyone in your family have epilepsy? And looking at him and going, no, no, not at all. And he goes, because you do. And Wow, what a dick. I know. And I, you're thinking at this point, this is the moment where the the Oliver Sacks doctor leans forward and puts his hand on yours. And I just lost it. I was like, you're fucking kidding me. And then I really, really lost it because all I could see in that moment was like dying on repeat over and over again and having hundreds of the, you know, because I, apparently I was having hundreds of subclinical seizures a day. What? And I had no idea that this was even a thing for he, for 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 me or for our family or for anything. Does the original seizure get residuals for each of those little ones? So <laughs> I wish. God, I wish. Um when you say you totally lost it, what do you what do you mean? Well, I ex- Did you yell at him or you cried or or internally you just died or what? Internally, I died. I had, it was, you know, every worst fear. Like this is a death sentence I've just been given. Yeah, but it's a living death sentence where I get to do it over and over and over again. And I don't want to live that kind of life. I don't want that. And it wasn't, I was like, I guess I expected if I was going to get that kind of delivery or diagnosis, I would expect someone to say, hey, there's a lot that we can do. And by the way, we've got a whole dream team here of people who can totally help you. But just him telling me that I was going to have seizures or that I had epilepsy was about to give me another seizure right there in the room yeah. because I just, I, I, I was like, were you absent on the day that they taught bedside manner? I mean, it's what do incredible. you think your medical orthodoxy, whatever your surgeons, I've held a brain in my hand kind of thing excuses you or gives you permission to, I'm not a sick person. Yeah. And I think I was, you know, I was like, Dah! so there was a bit of that. <laughs> when I was uh, 11 years old, I had a doctor just very offhandedly uh, say, um, uh, and I don't think he even addressed me. I think he said it to my mom. He, uh, he will never be able to have children. And then, and I just remember almost kind of like leaving, you know, my body kind of, uh, just like, uh, like electricity kind of went through it. Cause mm-hmm. even though I didn't at 11, you don't give a shit about having kids, but you know that it's a big part of quote-unquote, normal people's lives. Yeah. And uh, apparently my mom told me later that 
she, uh, took him out in the hallway and, uh, tore him a new asshole. Good. Um, but it, it, it is it's... really jaw dropping the, the lack of tact and compassion some people can, can have. Um, if, is... if you could go back and be that doctor that, that talked to you uh, instead so... of him, what would you have said? Hey, this, I, I write about this because I was like, now you're expecting that this is a part where the doctor leans forward and says, okay, so we're going to be, you're going to, you're, we're looking at epilepsy here as a possibility and as a thing. And we need to rule out a couple of other things. We need to have this conversation because this is important. There's a lot we can do and there's a whole team here and that can help you have an amazing, funny beautiful life uh, that isn't necessarily full of repeat episodes. We're going to help you. We're going to help you get control of your seizures. We're doing science is here to end epilepsy. We're here for you. Like just show we, he could have just shown up in that moment just a little more. I would show up for that patient and say, you can still have Every possible rom com ridiculously <laughs> funny, amazing life experience. It doesn't, it's okay. It's going to be okay. You're going to meet the man of your dreams when he rushes up to you and cleans the poop out of your pants in the middle of the street. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, I didn't know that, the, you know, I'd be woken up three years or five years later in um, the grocery store and it would be Milo Ventimiglio over, standing over me, which is essentially what happened later. So that's the upside. Um, no, it wasn't Milo himself, but yes. it was the EMT. I don't know who Milo is. Oh, he's the guy from This Is Us. He's a very handsome, oh, okay. handsome actor. And so I woke up years later um uh, a few years later in the grocery store to the most – and this is New York City now. And this if you live in New York City or you know New York City, this is going to happen to you at some point in life. You're going to wake up to something, some beautiful person. Uh, and in his case, he had this incredible hair. And I just was uh, thinking – I was like, oh, oh, no, it's happened again. Of course, I've, I've had a seizure. And I, I had before that been having one of my most perfect epic moment. Mary Tyler Moore throws her hat in the air moments. But uh, I, I mean, as I'm in there and, and lying on the ground in the grocery store, I'm just I'm looking I'm taking this guy in his incredible hair, his shirt. I see the little medical cross thingy. And I'm like, oh, OK, OK, OK. I'm looking at him and I'm seeing like, oh, that's a lot of blood. Oh man, that's like a walking dead amount of blood. And then I'm looking at him again. And I'm like, I'm seeing some pinkish gray. And I'm like, oh my God, did I just get, did I just get brain on Milo Ventimiglia? Did I just get brain on Jack from This Is Us? I mean, I'm just yeah. looking at this guy and I'm like, oh, that sucks. I need my brain in my head right now. And that's the other thing. It's like, the anxiety of epilepsy is another thing that if I were a doctor, I would talk to people about because you're walking around and when you're first diagnosed, you're like, I have a fucking taser in my head. Oh, my God. Uh, oh, no, don't tase me, bro, because that's yeah. the other thing. If you're having a seizure in public and you're well-dressed 
it's perceived very differently than if you've gone to the you know the the bodega on the corner in your sweats um mm-hmm. it's like oh she must be a junkie or mm-hmm. something like like no no i'm not a junk i'm not i'm not i'm not i just i'm a spaz mm-hmm. i'm just a spazzy girl and i have epilepsy and so yeah i've had all kind i've woken up in all kinds of situations i was at a writer's retreat and i had a seizure and i woke up to this aging hippie in a Muppet sweater. She looked just like the woman from, who hangs out with Animal on the Muppet show, who's blonde, or I think her name is Janice or something. Mm-hmm. And she was like, dude, you seriously need some weed? And I just <laughs> was like, oh, oh, I probably do, but I'm a mother. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, there are, there's a lot of, co- of complexity in dealing with this type of condition, but there's a lot of complexity in dealing with a lot of life yes. and a lot of chronic conditions. Yeah, and almost everyone, this, I know this probably sounds, uh, you know, uh, like I'm putting a nauseatingly uh, silver lining cloud spin on it, but almost everything is an opportunity to be more compassionate towards yourself. Yeah, but we're all full of self-loathing and 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 stuff, and so it's hard. why do you got to bring out the hitch? <laughs> we're so good at it's, hating on ourselves. Oh my god! If we talk to somebody the way we talk to ourselves, they would file for a restraining order. Yes, they would. I'm like, I'm totally harassing myself yeah. about everything. I'm like, and I love that line of like, I can't even talk shit about myself correctly. I think that's in one of your podcasts. It's hilarious. But there, like, I can't even do that right. Somebody filled out a survey the other day, <laughs> and this woman was sharing about how her husband loves her body but she hates her body and she used the phrase i'm not my type and i was like that is a t-shirt that is a t-shirt that's how i felt after because i woke up from this seizure with the handsome guy the handsome emt and i'd broken my face in 15 places 15 or 16 places i know i had broken both sides of my face and had my jaw dislocated off and broken all of my teeth oh my and god it was rough it was this was in the grocery store yes what did you hit i hit the shelf i don't know i wasn't there for it i just know that i was i was reaching down i was trying it was a good day i Feeling rocking, really, you know, and I was trying to do like Susie Orman told me and life and I was buying the cheap coffee. So I was reaching for the cheap Martinson. I wasn't going to Starbucks that day Mm -hmm. and I totally bit the dust and I had uh, such an intense seizure and it, it, you know, I didn't What caused the damage, the falling or the, or the seizure? I think the seizure because, and I learned this, I don't know where I learned it from, but, um, it takes 500 pounds of force. So mass times acceleration to really crack the uh, fracture, the human skull. And I did it on both sides and I'm kind of a skinny mini little girl in a way, tall girl, but, um, olive oil. Uh, and I, I, I don't know how I did it, but I did it. And I did it face first, big time. And so wow. I didn't know the extent of my injuries when the EMT guy was there, but that 
odyssey that sort of that's when I started really, I was in 13 hours of surgery and I... Was there actual brain or was that you just uh I don't know making if there funny. was actual okay. brain. That's where my you can see where my chin has uh broke through my or my jawbone broke through my chin yes. like right there. And this was a prosthetic jaw right here on my left side for a long time because I'd shattered this side entirely. Uh, and uh, this happened in twenty fifteen? Twenty fifteen. And you've had six, six surgeries? Six over? surgeries later. And, and uh, I severed all the nerves, so they they in your face. Yeah, in the on this side of my face, so I'm a little strokey, yeah. but um, it's not the end of the world. But what it has meant, and I remember writing it down before they took me into surgery. I'm like, am I ever gonna be able to feel anything again, like a kiss? Um, uh, because I couldn't talk at that point at all. Obviously, I wasn't talking. Your jaw was like, wired shut. Uh, I wasn't wired shut because uh, you, they can't do that until after the surgery. Uh, I just couldn't speak at all. Uh, it was too painful, and um, I was looped. Uh, but it was, am I ever going to feel? Because uh, I feel like this is was my whole, my mouth. I am such a mouthy, sassy girl, and I'd been writing this blog in New York about New York weirdos and neurodiversity and mm-hmm. everyone and how it's the new, the neurodiversity capital of the world. And, and suddenly I was the weirdest <laughs> girl in New York at that point in time. And um, I, my whole center of being has been in my mouth. It's the road to hell and the road to everything else about me. So I... Yeah, I was really th- thrown by what was happening and the idea that I I wouldn't be able to speak or that, you know, things were permanently um that I was going to be permanently disfigured was this was, was frightening. I mean, even in that bleary-eyed kind of oh, what's just happened state. Oh no. Because right as we got to the hospital, the handsome EMT guy, I thought he was going to he was leaning down to me, and I was like, oh, he's so handsome. I wish he would just kiss me. And I could see this kind of reverse gravity like he on him, like his chest just weighing him down. And he's looking at me, and he's just so sad, and he's trying to put a good spin on things, I think. Mm. And he's like, so, you know, you're going to be okay. There are things they can do. There are prosthetics and implants and things. And I'm looking at him going, prosthetics? Prosthetic what? And I was like, oh, this is, this is not going to be good. Easy. Yeah, yeah easy. And it, will, it hasn't been because it was... Yeah, what it was. No talking. A lot of ridiculous situations because New York City is a city of reaction, a city of people who yell, who scream, great pontificators. Everyone has an opinion. And when you can't voice any opinion at all, Mm. suddenly everybody's given it to you (laughs) in all kinds of ways and shapes and forms. Wow. So Mutant Manhattan was the next (laughs) couple of years. So where are you today, and what have you, if anything, 
taken from it? What, what do you have to share with somebody like me who has no experience with it, doesn't have a loved one? Uh, so I, I don't know. Um, and if somebody out there has a loved one or a friend or should they become, uh, somebody who, who, who has it. What, oh, we're what would so you like to... s- serious. I mean, I would go back, I would echo again, like there are 65 million people with epilepsy. No one's talking about it. Mm-hmm. And I got tired of tiptoeing around it uh, at work, in my personal life. Uh, with the kids, obviously, I wanted to life is beautiful the fuck out of things because I didn't want them to have... Uh, a, a, a terrible life because their mom was, you know, having seizures. And mm-hmm. what I want for people is to not be afraid to to talk about uh, to address the, the 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 elephant in sixty five million rooms. Mm-hmm. Um, and that you know, if you're with someone who is, uh, you chances are you do know someone who it has epilepsy and they may not be talking about it or they've encountered something along the lines in their lifetime. Um, but I mean, I guess my, one of my biggest takeaways was summed up pretty uh, wonderfully yesterday. I wish I'd written it, but I didn't. Uh, 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 I was like, sometimes you have to break everything to break through. And I think one of the things also that like the moment you think you're the person you're supposed to be, that's when the world comes in or the universe comes in, whatever you believe. And I've had a lot of like, ah, uh, challenges to my faith, I'd say. But, um, the world comes in to force you to change just a little or a lot and be something new. And that is science, that nature abhors the vacuum. And mm-hmm. so, yeah, just when you think you're who you're supposed to be, something's going to... Which I know a lot of people can say, like, oh, the moment I get hopeful about something, it's dashed. But I don't think it's such a bad thing for change to come even in its forms and i am not i would definitely agree with the woman who wrote the other day i'm like after i saw my face for the first time coming home i had to do a lot of grief work around the face that i had before and the face that i had now because it's a different face people in my building were like do you live here really yes i was very very um misshapen for a long time and it was i was suddenly not my own type (laughs) i was no longer my own type i was like oh oh." and you know you're getting better when you've had a huge accident when kids aren't afraid of you but i mean when you go out in public in the city i mean fortunately new york is full of freaks and so everybody's you know they're Mm -hmm. very forgiving (laughs) but um i for at least a good two years was very swollen and shifted to like the like my whole face had shifted to the left side of my head i looked i took a lot of pictures to try to track my progress but also i took a lot of photos to uh, to with with like Maurice Sendak creatures and where the wild things are. And I was trying to go with like, here's what it is. This is what mm-hmm. it looks like now. I wasn't always good at doing that. Yeah. I'm having a bad symmetry day. 
I'm having a really bad symmetry day. And I did have some magical moments where I was having a fucked up, I am so asymmetrical, I am never going to go on a date ever again in my life. I'm never going to, who is going to love me at this monstrous phase of my existence? And I walked into a Sephora on Broadway and I was like, I need to learn how to fucking do my makeup all over again. And you're going to help me. (laughs) And I was very, and she was like, girl, okay. And she was like, we are going to work on your symmetry because I had to relearn not just how to talk and not just how to like eat and because I couldn't eat for so long. I could only eat through a straw. And now straws are banned. <laughs> and so Straws are banned? Apparently. they. I guess in California. I don't know. I've been everywhere in California this yeah. last week. Like I was saying, and like I was yeah. in Sacramento, and it's the Midwest of California, and mm. I couldn't swear at all. Now I'm in L.A. And, oh, fuck, fuck, fuck. Yeah, fuck, fuck, fuck. <laughs> fuck, 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 fuck. But, um, so you had to eat through a straw for Oh, my God. I got so hungry. For, yeah, for a long time after each surgery. So, because you're wired shut again, and it's like, I can't imagine. But I tried to like grind, I would like, I ordered a hamburger from the place around the corner, and I was like, oh, I'm just going to put this in the blender, I'm going to try to get it up as strong. <laughs> there was no, I was like, I'm so hungry, and broth and jello is not going to do it. And uh, yeah, I wanted, I wanted anything, like say it with beef. I'm like, like, please just let me, somebody come over to my house and eat a hamburger and let me just smell it. So how effective are, were you on anti- I was on anti-anxietal, or anti-anxietals, anti-convulsants, anti-epileptic drugs at the time that I had the seizure and had a breakthrough seizure. So they didn't work. So this is a thing, like your body can shift and change over the years and metabolically mm-hmm. we change all the time throughout the day and uh the it just so happened that the 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 drug that i was on uh stopped working and our bodies are very good at tricking mm-hmm. <laughs> tricking the drugs i've found over the years at least mine mm-hmm. uh i tend to have like a cycle of like it seems like two years where a drug will work. I've never been able to stay seizure-free mm-hmm. um, for more than two and a half years. Uh, and it means no driving, no taking a shower alone, which can be a good thing, but uh, <laughs> no swimming, no this. There are suddenly all these rules in uh-huh. your life. Um, so yeah, there's a lot to know. So telling someone who has no experience of epilepsy, I would say... Oh, my God, just don't – if you're a parent and you've got a child in your child's class, say, that say who is dealing with something on the spectrum mm-hmm. of neurodiversity, of whether it's autism or epilepsy, don't be afraid to ask all the questions because most of the time people will – Will tell you and say, you know, it's just this, and I have to take this drug, and and don't not invite them over to sleepovers. And if you're a mother, you know, suddenly because it can be like some of the invitations stop coming because people are freaked out by it. Mm-hmm. It has a history of of all kinds of mythology of you know the person's possessed by demons, the person is you know has. Uh, 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 issues with addiction and yeah. that's you know uh, a lot, everyone's got something yeah so and, and so in, include 
what are the ways other than, you know, asking questions, inviting somebody over? Let's say your friend is going, uh, you're going out on the town with a friend. What should that friend know in the event something happens or what are some things other than the ones you've listed that you, that you are to avoid? Like, so I know my triggers pretty well and I, so environment can influence these. So environment can, I'm very photosensitive. So I just don't go to the, I don't go to those movies that have the, the warnings. And I do think they're important because I'm pretty photosensitive, meaning any strobe light, I'm not going to go to a club. Okay. I mean, at this point in time, if I am going to go to something that's a lot of flashing, or if I am going to an event that's like red carpety and there's a mm-hmm. lot, I, I just, I, I'm careful when I take the sunglasses and I avoid anything that's going to make me start feeling like I'm going down a seizure path. I have a chapter in the book because if I'm feeling like I'm going to have a seizure, sleep is another trigger for me. So if I haven't had a lot of sleep or I've been traveling and I've been on the road and I'm dehydrated and mm-hmm. I'm feeling like, you know, off at all, I, I'm probably, and this is not to dehumanize at all, but I'm going to werewolf myself, which is essentially, You're gonna I'm, do like, what? I'm going to werewolf myself. Oh, I'm gonna right. p- put myself in like, I'm going to put baby in the corner. I'm yeah. putting, I'm going to the soft space because, yeah. and there are a lot of sharp edges in life and I don't need any more of them. And right. so if I'm feeling like I'm vulnerable to a seizure, um, I'm going to say, you know what? I can't go. I'm going to, I got to stay home. I got to sit this one out. I'm worried. I'm going to be in the bed. I'm going to be near the couch if I feel like an aura because I usually have auras before I have, and that's that hallucination or sense mm-hmm. of something coming like it, like with people with migraines, mm-hmm. uh, uh, then I'm going to, I'm going to sit it out. I'm going to manage my triggers like stress is a trigger, lack of sleep. Uh, you do want to limit alcohol. Hunger, um, I would imagine. Hunger can be a thing, yeah. but um, I'm just I, guessing. I'm not. Uh, hunger can be a thing. Everyone's triggers are different, and so yeah. uh, if you're diagnosed with epilepsy, you're going to get to. That's the other thing I would have said to myself years ago when I was diagnosed. Was like, you're going to get to know this beast, and mm-hmm. it's a beast for sure, and we need to end it. Um, there are a lot of people dealing with this, uh, and there's a lot of science that's and progress in terms of different treatments and whether it's CBD and a Pedialex for different types of seizures, whether it's the kind of drugs that I take. Yeah, so the person who is, who is dealing with epilepsy and their family probably knows their triggers pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and they're going to be like, you know what? I gotta, I gotta manage these. And mm-hmm. at a certain point you start to really take your epilepsy seriously. Um, I've watched people and good friends who have epilepsy, who didn't take it seriously for a long time. And then they're like, I got to 30 and I was thinking about having children and things are, I'm changing. It's like any adulting that we end up doing in life and I'm still learning how to be a grown up but um it's it's something like I'm I'm generally putting myself to bed pretty early cuz that's yeah. my jam right now if if you are if one is in a situation where somebody is having a convulsive seizure what 
what should we do, if anything? So, I mean, first stick a dirty sponge in their mouth. No, <laughs> you're not going to do anything. Yeah. You're not going to do anything along the lines. You're going to, uh, they used to say, put a spoon in someone's mouth. They used to say, terrible, you know, you don't want to do anything like that because no one's going to swallow their tongue. You might bite your tongue. I've done that myself okay. a few times, but, um, you're generally going to stay with them uh, and turn them on their side. Um, there's a kind of stay, make sure their head's protected because that's a thing that can really, uh, that's the really dangerous bit. Mm -hmm. And so you're going to want to slip something soft under their head. You're going to turn them on their side in case they aspirate, in case they, mm -hmm. you know, have a moment. Because uh, you want to keep them breathing and you're going to time the seizure. You're going to stay with them and you're going to time because over five minutes or if you feel like they're not breathing, you're going to want to call 911. I mean, every, again, everyone's seizures are very different. Mm -hmm. um, I've got one friend who has absent seizures and so she'll still text during a seizure what yes it's un so you think the brain is weird but the brain with a hundred billion cells is weirder than you can even think <laughs> that's what this is so she's like she's had situations where she's she the person's been like you you hugged me and she's like, oh, I don't know that. I didn't do that. And she's like, and I'm really, she, but she'll be like, I'm really glad I hugged that person and not that other person <laughs> at work because that guy's a douche. Um, so there are absence seizures where the person, you may think that they're right there with you and they are not there with you. Mm -hmm. And there are convulsive seizures. But the convulsive, the tonic-clonics that I have, again, I'm concerned about turn on the side, keeping the head safe timing things because again over five minutes you generally want to check in with the doc okay well thank you so much for uh sharing your story uh the best of luck with your your book i know it's kicking ass it it uh was at the top of the uh new releases on amazon <laughs> it was and james patterson gave me a blurb which was pretty kick-ass he's been an amazing supporter and um, all of his team have been incredible. And now, I mean, I think the bit, the, if I were to sum up the book, I'd say it's sort of like the Gilmore Girls meets epilepsy. So <laughs> there's a lot, and Tina, or Tina Fey, like someone, like it's meant to be, there's, we need some mainstream voices yeah. to kind of out the, to, yeah, get out there and say, hey. It's, it's not a death sentence. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and if people want to follow you on uh, social media, Gotham oh, Girl. Oh, yeah. I am Gotham Girl. I'm, on, I'm mostly on Twitter, and I talk to everybody, so just know that I'll talk back to you. Okay. Um, and uh, I'm, I am Gotham Girl. The blog is uh, pretty uh, – I keep it pretty up to date. And okay. alisajones.com. Cool. We'll uh, put links to all your stuff under the show notes. Yes. Thank the you, Sam. Thank you so much, Elisa. I learned a lot. I would have never imagined that some people can experience a beautiful side during a, a seizure. So much I learned on, on this podcast. Uh, today's episode is sponsored by Calm. If you guys deal with stress or sleeplessness, Calm is an awesome app for sleep and relaxation. It's a number one app. And it can really transform your nights, which means better days. I, I should clarify, it's the number one app for sleep and relaxation. We all know that the number one app overall is uh, Small My Feet. 
Check out sleep stories, which are like bedtime stories for adults that can help you fall into a deep, natural sleep in minutes, and they're narrated by awesome voices like Nick Offerman and LeVar Burton. And if you go to calm.com slash mental, you can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription. Uh, It includes hundreds of sleep stories and tons of other content like Really cool, soothing music from artists like Sam Smith, guided meditations, breathing exercises, and so much more. Over 60 million people use Calm. Join them today and get the sleep you need tonight. For a limited time, you guys can get 25% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash mental, and it comes with unlimited access to Calm's entire library, and new content is added every week. So get started today at calm.com slash mental. That's calm.com slash mental. And as I mentioned Early on in the podcast, we're sponsored by Squarespace. Turn your dream into a reality with Squarespace. They make it easier than ever to launch your passion project. Um, I created a website for uh, dog pictures that I've taken. I used to be obsessed with it. I've probably taken 10,000 dog pictures in my life uh, and snippets of the music that I write and play. And it was super simple putting a website together to put that stuff on there. It took me maybe an hour and a half. And so whether you're looking to start a new business, oh, and the website, if you want to check that out, is paul-gilmartin.squarespace.com. And uh, whether you... Or is it Paul Gilmartin hyphen Squarespace? I don't know. Maybe I'll put the link to that on uh, on the show notes for this. Whether you're looking to start a new business or showcase your work, publish content, sell products, and more, Squarespace is the tool for you. Their templates are beautiful, easy to use. You can do it in a couple of clicks. They have a really powerful e-commerce functionality that lets you sell anything online and analytics to help grow your site in real time. And everything is optimized for mobile right out of the box. Nothing to patch or upgrade ever. Buying domains is super simple and you'll get the help you need with Squarespace's 24-7 award-winning customer support. Squarespace empowers millions of people from designers to lawyers, artists to gamers, even restaurants and gyms to turn great ideas into something real. So head to squarespace.com slash mental for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code mental to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com offer code mental. Do you like that dramatic pause right before uh, offer code mental? I like to create tension. Let's get to some surveys. This is, oh, uh, and by the way, if you are a monthly donor or considering becoming a monthly donor, which is really, really essential to keeping this show alive, and we can always use more monthly donors, you can become a monthly donor or a one-time donor through PayPal, um, and you can become a monthly donor through Patreon. And I would suggest Patreon, number one, because I'm not a huge fan of of PayPal, um, and I do much prefer Patreon. Through Patreon, it's much easier when I do a raffle of some woodworking project that I've made. Um, it's much easier to correspond with me and send me your guesses for the raffle. Uh, and I will have a cutting board uh, coming up very soon. And I might even, I have some wood from a tree of mine that fell down and I'm in the process of uh, making some coffee tables with that. And maybe I'll raffle one of... Uh, one of those off coming up. But anyway, if you go to patreon.com slash mental pod, you can uh, become a monthly donor for as little as a um, dollar a month. I think to 
not I think, but to enter into the raffle, it starts at uh, $5 a month. And for every $5 a month you are a donor, that's how many guesses you get. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Pizza Crumbs from the Mental Breakdown last night. She identifies as asexual. She's 18. She was raised in a totally chaotic environment. Ever been the victim of sexual abuse? Some stuff happened, but I don't know if it counts. My mom bathed me up until I was around 12. Uh, Yes, that is sexual abuse. And if... Child Protective Services had heard about that. They would have removed you from the home or put your mom in jail or something. Uh, It was only when we moved to a place that had a lock on the bathroom door. By the way, if you have a parent that doesn't allow you to have a lock uh, on the bathroom door, that's super fucked up and that is a huge, huge red flag. Uh, Before... I wouldn't shower in weeks or wear my swimming costume while showering in case she came in and made comments about my body. I told her I was really uncomfortable with it and asked her to leave me be, but she, for some reason, thought I needed her guidance. It is so sick. I don't think she had any bad intentions with it. No, that that's, well, let's put it this way. It's sick. There, there was nothing innocent about what your mom was doing. And it doesn't matter what her intention was. What matters is how you felt about it and healing the damage that it that it did. Um, I don't think she had any bad intentions with it, but I reckon it kind of fucked me up. I always felt weird around my dad. It's fucking gross, but he kissed me like someone would kiss their partner. Oh my God, I'm so sorry that you were unsafe with both your parents and they both sexualized you. And while he never actually touched me, he'd get uncomfortably close. You don't have to actually touch a child for it to be sexual abuse. Uh, she's been emotionally abused. Um, and then some of the abuse, she's not sure if it counts as emotional abuse. Some of my earliest memories with my dad are him not talking to me for days and even weeks straight for the slightest thing that made him angry. One day, I must have been about eight, he came back from work and I made cookies with my mom, so I thought I'd offer him some and I just remember him throwing the plate on the table and proceeding to remind me what I'd done the previous day. He didn't talk to me for three days. I can't remember what I did, but it always hurt me when he did that. I never felt safe around him or even him being alone with my mom. He had a cricket bat. He would bang threateningly against the table while he and my mom would argue, and I would always sit right outside the door because I was so terrified he'd hit her. Mom used to slap me when I was younger, and it never used to bother me until it turned into aggressive spanking and verbal abuse because of her broken marriage and fucked mental health. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Positive experiences with the abusers. My dad and I get along sometimes, mostly when we talk about sports. Ironically, cricket. And I love my mom, but she's tough work, man. Darkest thoughts. I sometimes imagine just catching a train anywhere, far away, blowing all my money on drugs and things that make me happy, then going home, beating the shit out of my dad, then flying to another country without telling anyone, and killing myself is the grand finale. Darkest secrets, I don't have any. Some 
Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. Incest porn, usually between father and daughter. I've been addicted to porn since the age of 12. It haunts me and I don't know why. It's weird and I feel so wrong. Well, you know, there is a correlation between being addicted to porn or sexually acting out and uh, having your your needs not met as a kid and being sexualized by by caregivers. Um, for many of us, it was the way that we learned to soothe. It was our first drug. And when children are sexualized, it, it greatly increases the chances of them experiencing uh, addictions, um, depression, anxiety, fear of intimacy. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To my mom, I wish you weren't so selfish sometimes. Thanks for choosing my abusive brother over me. I get that he's the handsome, tall, smart Romeo in this house, but I also exist. Also, for staying with your stupid husband and my dickhead father. For him, you ruined my life. What, if anything, do you wish for? To forget my past, to either die or leave home and not have to worry about the consequences or the drama I'll have to deal with. You know, it is much easier to kill parts of your life than to kill yourself. Or I should say it makes more sense to kill off parts of your life, the toxic ones. Listen to your body. You know, our bodies are usually telling us some kind of important information. And, you know, once we do protect ourselves and create a life that we don't feel cornered by, then we get to experience freedom and autonomy and sticking up for ourselves and then the ability to trust again and then form intimate relationships. And I'm getting to experience that. It took a lot of work to get here, but it's so worth it. And I'm so glad that I didn't kill myself when I was obsessing about it 16, 17 years ago. Have you shared these things with others? No, all my friends are just as fucked up as I am, as you can imagine. I don't want to pester them. You know, it depends on the friend, but I don't think that's pestering somebody. I think you are giving somebody else the opportunity to open up to you, and they might not. They might be uncomfortable with a with a conversation about things that aren't surface level, but it's worth a try. And I encourage you to just start out with little bits of information and just kind of, you know, look, you know, do they respond in kind? Do they listen? And if not, and don't open up about anything more. But if they do, then, you know, just kind of gradually go. How do you feel after writing these things down? Better, actually. I just had an argument with my dad, and I really, really felt like exposing him. Anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? If you can, get the heck away. Amen. A fucking men. This is a happy moment survey filled out by a woman who calls herself Fuckhead Johnson. You know, your parents did think long and hard before they named you Fuckhead. The nurses in the maternity ward begged your parents not to do it. 
that's all I have for that riff. Her happy moment. When the fog is lifted from my major depressive episode, and then parentheses, severe and recurrent, and I have the energy and desire to just take care of myself, I go through my routines with ease. I sing in the car to my favorite music. Even though I know the other shoe will drop eventually, I'm thankful for this window of time to be my authentic self. I try to breathe in gratitude and exhale compassion. I'm determined to be thankful for my silly little life on this speck in the universe. I'm determined to stay hopeful because one day, just one day, maybe these good days will outnumber the hard days. That's so awesome. Uh, any comments to make the podcast better? It would be cool if we could upload pics related to our survey results. Not sure how that would work exactly, but just so you could see a glimpse into other people's worlds. Uh, you can't do that on the surveys themselves, but what you could do is you could go into the forum and you could post pictures there. Uh, there are threads related to the surveys, I believe. I know there's a thread related to the podcast, and so under a specific uh, podcast, you could, uh, I assume that you, you are wanting, I wonder if you're wanting to upload pics related to survey results that were read or just your survey results in general. Um, yeah, I think in the forum you might be able to, to do something related to that. And you can see other people's survey results. Uh, when you go to the website and you click on uh, surveys, you'll have an option for each survey to either take it out, uh, fill it out, or see the results of other people's. And you'll want to click on see individual responses when you're looking to see what people responded to on the surveys. Otherwise, it'll just give you, you know, statistical information like the average age of somebody filling it out. This is an awful moment filled out by a woman who calls herself feeling nauseous. She writes, and for those of you that are new to the podcast, awfulsome is a combination of something that was awful and then in hindsight looking at it and there's something kind of awesomely fucked up, um, darkly funny about it. And she writes, I'm an assistant to the supervisor and I was unfortunately placed in the awkward slash awful position of hiring my cousin who is about five years older than me. This cousin has coerced me to per periodically perform sexual favors for him while I was between the ages of 4 and 13. If it wasn't for the fact that we were desperate for help, we wouldn't have been considered for the job because we're related. And because the supervisor knew him, I didn't feel like there was much I could do to stop him from getting hired without having to admit what my cousin did to me. And I would, I would, you know... Instead of saying admit, I would say disclose because admit kind of infers that you were somehow guilty for what he did to you. You know, when you're between four and 13 and somebody is five years older than you, that is abuse. That is, that is not something that you should be blaming yourself for. Um, being forced to interact with him daily has been extremely difficult because all of the memories that I had managed to shove down and forget have resurfaced. Now I have to deal with all of the awful feelings of guilt and self-disgust all over again. 
And worst of all, occasionally he will look at me in such a way that it makes me feel like if he could have his way, he would totally fuck me and it makes me feel sick to my stomach. However, I may not have too much longer uh, before his ineptitude will get him fired and I will be free of ever interacting with him again. He just got his second strike out of three in less than two weeks. And I would imagine uh, she she filled this out uh, about a month ago. And I'm going to bet that he is gone by by now. I hope. I hope. Sending you some love. This is a shame and secret survey filled out by a guy who calls himself the guy hiding in the woods. He is straight in his 20s, was raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment, uh, never been sexually abused, not sure if he's been emotionally abused. Uh, the more and more I work in therapy, I realize how my mom twists and fucks with my life. Any positive experiences with the abusers? I love my mom very deeply. I'm always the first one she calls, and I always respond. That that sounds like a red flag for maybe enmeshment. You know, a, a parent reaching out to a child for emotional support for the parent is not healthy. It is not healthy, and it's usually a sign that there was a reversal of needs being met in childhood, that the child was kind of groomed into meeting the parent's emotional needs rather than the healthy way of the parent being there for the kid. Darkest thoughts. Every time I'm in a large crowd, I look around and wonder who in the crowd will be the first to die. I always hope that it is me. Darkest secrets. I got myself in debt because I was planning my suicide. Sexual fantasy is most powerful to you for a woman to really crave me. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? To tell my parents how in debt I am because I think it would help me recover. What, if anything, do you wish for? I wish my dog and I could go out in the woods and be left alone. Have you shared these things with others? No, my parents already think I'm becoming the Unabomber from how much time I spend up at our cabin alone. How do you feel after writing these things down? It's nice to type it out, though I'm just, though I'm still just tired. Thank you, buddy, for sharing all of that. And... You know, this reminds me a lot of ways of the other survey I, I read um, where I, I talked about having a life where we feel cornered and then the option that makes the most sense to us is, you know, killing ourselves or hiding away from everybody rather than distancing ourselves from the people who are unhealthy for us and then finding out what a healthy relationship looks like and relearning how to trust with healthy people. And then we get to feel that awesome feeling of having a life that we don't feel cornered by. This is a love filled out by a woman who calls herself Clementines. And she writes, I love that my partner holds my hand when we watch TV every night. It's been three years and he still grabs my hand. I love the warmth and how perfect our fingers interlace. No matter what type of day I've had, it always calms me. I hope he does it for the rest of our days. It's beautiful. Thank you. 
This is a shame and secret survey filled out by an agender person who calls themselves sanity curious. Uh, they identify as gay. Uh, they're 20. Was, they were raised in a pretty dysfunctional environment. They've never been sexually abused, but they've been emotionally abused. They write, my ex-girlfriend girlfriend grew up in an extremely emotionally abusive household. Her mother was an untreated alcoholic who regularly abused, manipulated, and threatened her children. She would frequently steal money from my then-girlfriend to buy alcohol. During the second year of our relationship, my ex moved into my studio apartment and became more or less financially dependent on me. In parentheses, I fed us both, helped pay for her for her voice lessons, etc. I feel she began to resent me like a child would resent a parent. The power was unbalanced and she lashed out. The relationship was littered with threats of suicide, harsh ultimatums, and a sense of doom and despair on both ends. By the way, if you're ever in a relationship with somebody and they threaten suicide, if you break up with them, break up with them. It, it is a sign that that person really, really needs help. And it it is not up to you to find them help. They are responsible for their own happiness and their own destiny. You know, you could research ways for them to find help and hand it to them and say, you know, this is where you can get help. But I, this is not healthy for me to be in this relationship. Or go and start getting professional help. But trying to change that person, if somebody is threatening suicide, if you break up, their problems are running so deep that trying to change them or make them see something is its own form of insanity. She also had what I can only describe as one and a half diluted pseudo affairs, which I forgave but still make me feel sick to my stomach and unclean whenever I think of them. I suffered both at the hands of her and her mother, and I'm afraid she sometimes suffered at my hands as well. We were children, 16 and 17, when the relationship began, 18 and 19 when it ended, in a bad situation. Any positive experiences with them, of course, but the venom I feel now overwhelms overwhelms the warmth of that love. Darkest thoughts. I sometimes fantasize of snapping the neck of the girl I currently love. There are nights when I feel so ill and the only thing I can imagine to soothe the numb hurt is running naked and intoxicated through dark woods, tearing apart deer and mountain lions with my bare hands and sinking my mouth into their warm flesh. Now, that was very descriptive. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. You know, one of the things I love about the surveys is, you know, because they are anonymous, that you guys get to really, really let go of the stuff that bounces around inside of us. Darkest Secrets. My ex-girlfriend used to steal her mother's Xanax and give it to me while she was having a deluded pseudo-affair in the eye of all my peers. I was stuck at home in bed with mono and a chronic pain flare-up. Taking those stolen drugs to put myself to sleep was the only thing that kept me alive. Whenever I was awake, I would sob and scream and pound my head and hands on the headboard of my bed. I wanted to die. 
Sexual fantasies most powerful to you. I used to get a somewhat sexual thrill out of imagining a beautiful, dark-haired, older woman tearing me apart with a small knife. Sharing that makes me feel small. What, if anything, would you like to say to someone you haven't been able to? I'd tell my alcoholic dad that I forgive him for his emotional absence during my childhood, but that the way he now neglects my youngest brother and uses him as a pawn in my parents' divorce is revolting and unforgivable. My baby brother is not his toy. What, if anything, do you wish for? Calm. I likely have borderline personality disorder and am currently in therapy for my BPD tendencies. I'm exhausted by the intensity of my feelings. I wish I knew calm and stability, and I wish I could steal my youngest brother away from the messiness of my parents' divorce. I wish we could drive away together and spend an eternity eating breakfast in diners and singing along to Bruno Mars. I wish I could keep him safe and smiling. Have you shared these things with others? Some of it I've shared in bits and pieces to various people. It has generally gone well, but I will often downplay the effect my experiences and illnesses have on me. I can't seem to convey just how twisted my world looks, how heavy my heart is, how sick I feel. I'm rotting. How do you feel after writing these things down? Lost. Is there anything you'd like to share with someone who shares your thoughts or experiences? I'm here too. Wow, thank you so much for going so, so fucking deep on this one. And I'm so sorry that you're in such pain. But there are other people that would understand you. And the struggle, the first hurdle is finding those people, finding our family of choice. Because a lot of times, you know, the caregivers were given or the hand that were dealt in life there's just no way to make that work and or at least we should consider other options instead of trying to change the people around us these are some or just one love filled out by grace oh grace didn't know my dog could fill out a survey. I love seeing my little sister laugh so hard she can't breathe, usually over a bad joke that she has just made. It reminds me that there is still so much pure, innocent happiness in the world. Oh, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. And then finally, this is a happy moment filled out by a woman who calls herself Misunderstood Mary. She writes, I would ideally put this in story about therapy, but I also think it fits perfectly here. I need to shout out to my therapist. I've been seeing her about a year, and I can't put into words what a pillar of growth she has been for me. I do not feel like I rely on her. Rather, she's extremely encouraging for me to regain some of my own strength and confidence. I was having an exhausting day, and some things came up with my family that I felt very triggered by in the moment. I messaged her, asking her if she was available to give me an unemergent phone call, and then I needed some perspective. She called me no more than 10 minutes later. She was driving, but had me on Bluetooth. I didn't once feel like she was distracted or yesing me. She gave me exactly what I needed in that moment, a real genuine ear and some real words of truth and encouragement. We spoke for 45 minutes and felt, I felt so seen and heard. It's a simple happy moment, but I wanted to share. 
Throughout my struggles over the last five years, my diligence in sticking with therapy, even when I didn't want to go, has been my rock. Yes, we have some sort of trust going on between us, but I try to remember that she is there to help me grow. I feel incredibly grateful for finding a therapist that fits me and strives every minute to help me fortify myself. Learning to understand the fear that was holding me back from asking for help and setting boundaries, holy moly, talk about unearthing ancient old patterns in my brain. I'm in no place to give advice about anything related to this, but from my experience, a good fit with a therapist is incredibly healing hard work. Love it. Love it. You know, a lot of times the most scary phrase in the world is, saying, please help me, or I need help, or I don't know. But it can also be, at least, you know, let me speak for myself, it was the fork in the road that led me to a life that I love. And I'm so glad that I got to a place where I knew I was going to die if I didn't ask for help. And it opened up this beautiful beautiful life for me and yeah it's been filled with struggle and difficulty and confusion and a lot of two steps forward one step back but ultimately um, I love the life I've carved out I don't feel cornered by it and I love the connection I have with the people whose friendship I found because I asked for help And I found out how similar other people's struggles are and that we're able to bond over that. And it's such a deep feeling of connection. I'm just grateful. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you're out there and you're struggling, you are not alone. And thanks for listening. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautiful. Everybody I know is bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way. Bizarrely beautifully fucked up in some weird way.